Hey, everybody. This is Patrick, the Chief Monkey and founder of Wall Street Oasis. Just wanted to first off say thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Second, wanted to make sure for any of you in the market for financial modeling training, remind you that Wall Street Oasis does have some incredible financial modeling training courses, including Excel modeling, financial statement through, you know, linking up the three statements, DCF, valuation, M&A, LBO, um, even more niche courses like 13-week cash flow, venture capital course, real estate modeling, you name it. Go ahead and check them out at wallstreetoasis.com slash courses. Thanks for the support. Wouldn't it be cool if there was a Netflix for finance? Well, there is. It's called Real Vision, and it gives you unprecedented access to some of the most respected names in finance. Watch interviews with legends like Kyle Bass, Jeff Gunlock, Stanley Drunkenmiller, and many, many more. If you want to be part of the Real Vision revolution, visit realvision.com slash WSO. Hello and welcome. I'm Alex Grodnick, and this is Moving Up, a podcast about secrets to success, struggles along the way, and life in general. Today on the pod, Austin Arnsberg, now a VC in San Francisco, but man, has his career taken some twists and turns and gone all the way around the globe. He's done private equity in Thailand, was in the internal consulting group of Samsung after getting his MBA, and how that's all tied into venture capital now. So it's 2019. We're back to work. I hope everyone got to take some time over the holidays to relax, be with family, and reflect. The end of the year, it's kind of a natural time to look back and see what you liked about the year and what you didn't, and then set a plan to get more of what you liked and less of what you didn't in the new year. It's not supposed to be perfect or all-encompassing, maybe just a goal or two for the new year. It's easy to get caught up in everyone else's goals, uh, with them talking about on Twitter, how they're reading 100 books and having breakfast with a different person every other day. That's fine, but don't let other people's goals become yours. Don't get caught up in the highlights show that social media is and start comparing yourself to everyone else. I just put a couple games on my phone, actually, so that when I feel the need to grab my phone, which we all instinctually do, uh, maybe now I can throw balls at some cans instead of looking at social media and feeling bad about myself. Uh, So quick update on PayClub here. We're trying to close out our pre-seed round of funding this week. We got some checks from some really important investors that I'm super excited about, and we just need to get a few more this week. The timing was rough as we had all this momentum, and then the world basically shut down for the past couple weeks. So we need to get that engine fired up again, close out the round, and then get on the couple of college campuses that we're really going to promote the app hard on this winter. My two co-founders and I were going like on a little retreat this weekend to lay out a bunch of our plans and strategy for the next few months. I'm excited for what we can do, and hopefully we get a couple more checks and are really able to blow this out of the water. My dad, he actually said something to me last week. We were talking about raising money for a business and just how hard it is. And he said, well, yeah, being successful is not easy. If you guys raise the money, then you're going to be successful, right? And I was like, yeah. So he said, of course, it's going to be difficult. He's right. When we get a couple hundred thousand dollars more, I am 100% certain that we have the right plan in place to take over these universities. So that's what we're going to do. I'll keep you posted. Austin Arnsberg, welcome to the Moving Up podcast. Thanks. It's great to be here. Yeah. I'm looking forward to our conversation. You spent a ton of your career in Asia. We'll 
talk all about that. Now you're a venture capitalist in San Francisco, like a lot of the guests that I speak with, but I'm going to take a leap and say that you didn't imagine yourself being a venture capitalist in San Francisco probably just a couple years ago, right? Like things just kind of worked their way out and that's where you ended up. Yeah. I mean, I think if you think from one section to another in your career, one chronological point to another, um, it's not always immediately apparent, but uh, certainly the style of work um, that I'm doing is something that I always imagined myself. So being very people focused uh, having fast-paced work—that's always something that I've, I've always stri- striven for, and and it's you know in a large way what's happened. Got it. Okay. Yeah, I, I like that fast-paced, hard-working person that likes dealing with people. I'm sure that this podcast is going to go well since you're such a good people person. But let's get into the into the early days. You graduate from from Boulder, right? And and what happens? Yeah. So. Actually, just to take a quick step back, I'm, I'm from Louisville, Kentucky originally, so so a Southerner by birth, and uh, I went to prep school uh, outside of Boston at the uh, Phillips Academy Andover, and that was you know a big big step for me at 14 years old to move to to, to New England, and so going to college, University of Colorado, was another big step. Um, and when I was at the University of Colorado. I was always interested in the opportunity to study abroad. And so in between my, my sophomore and my, my junior year, I studied abroad in Thailand and in Zanzibar and Tanzania. And that really set off a, a sort of international interest of mine and followed up that year uh, with the summer before my senior year doing research in Malaysia on my, my senior thesis. And so, you know, for me, coming out of college in 2005, I was, I was really focused on building an international career. And at the time I had studied environmental science and political science as a double major at the university of Colorado. I was very interested in working in international aid and development and uh, got an opportunity uh, to apply to a national science foundation research grant to do research on water management issues in Western China. Uh, which is a very dry area and has had many, many difficult challenges um, with water management. And I was accepted into that program and spent the summer after graduating at University of Colorado in Western China conducting field research and writing my research. And when I finished that up, I then went to Beijing to work in an internship in the fall of 2005. And while I was there, uh, I was living in sort of this, this, this neighborhood called Daoko in Beijing, which is famous for having thousands and thousands of, of foreign students um, that, that go to the school Xinhua and Beijing University, which are located in that area. And I met a bunch of folks uh, that were Princeton kids, so Princeton alum. And they told me about a program called the Princeton Asia Fellowship Program. Um, and they said, you're a really good fit. This program, you know, isn't limited just to Princeton students. Uh, there are also, you know, folks that can apply that haven't gone to Princeton. Um, and it places you in jobs throughout Asia. Um, and, you know, some of the jobs are English teaching and some of the jobs are for nonprofits um, and NGOs. And so I thought that was a perfect fit. And that was sort of my first real career jump, uh, applying to that program and eventually getting accepted and introduced to go to, to Thailand, of all places. Um, the program administrator at the time saw that I had experience 
studying in Thailand, and there was a longstanding uh, fellowship position in Bangkok uh, working for the World Conservation Union, which was doing environmental conservation uh, throughout the southern coast of Thailand. And so, you know, that launched a, a series of steps uh, in my career that I, I could not have initially anticipated, uh, but were definitely in line with, at the time, was my interest in, uh, in environmental conservation and international aid development. So I'm happy to explain a little bit more detail what happened from that point on, but maybe it's good to take a pause. Yeah, I mean, I'm excited to hear how this story gets from nonprofit work in Asia to venture capital in San Francisco. And so I don't, but I don't want to get too far out of our skis just yet. So, yeah, I like what you're saying here. You knew you wanted to build an international career, but it sounds like in the beginning, at least, you weren't like hyper focused on on where internationally you went. You just said, oh, like. I got this opportunity, so I'm going to go there, and then I got another opportunity, so I'm going to go somewhere else. But it wasn't – you just put – you never put uncertainty ahead of opportunity. Yeah, I think – I mean, one of the challenges, I think, as a very young person in, in university is feeling that you have agency and control over your career. Um, you know you have different interest areas, but it's really unclear where the opportunities lie. And so I think there was a certain element of just embracing ambiguity and newness and, and lack of clarity that I had, which was really built in part from, you know, going to prep school at 14 to a completely different part of the United States. And then going from that part of the United States to Colorado, you know, every, every place I had been, I had to culturally adjust. And so, you know, I know I had an interest in environmental conservation. I know I had an interest in international um, living. Uh, coming out of my, my study abroad experience, but what I didn't know is exactly what location I would be, I would, you know, find those opportunities. And so the first one happened to be in China. Um, and the second one happened to be in Thailand, but it was, it was something that I had to be open to. Um, and, and certainly that the Princeton Asia fellowship, which I'm, I'm now on the board of trustees of, they, they look for that kind of candidate, someone who's very open um, to, to adventure and to new locations. And so, yeah, I think you're totally right. It's, it's, uh, definitely something that, um, you know, you can get a certain number of your career objectives fulfilled, but there always has to be that little room for uh, whimsical opportunity as it comes along. Right. And I think right when you graduate college, I mean, that's the easiest time to do it. I mean, I moved not quite as far as you, but I moved to Detroit right after college in the middle of the crisis to work for JP Morgan. I had Never been there before, but I just said, "Oh, this is a great opportunity. I'm gonna go see what happens." And now that I look back on it, it was, it was cool. Um, it was really cool. I'm super glad that 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 I did it. Um, as I get older, now I'm 31. I'm married. I told you before we started the podcast, I'm about to have a kid. I've also, I told you I got all this furniture now. It would be super hard for me to move to Thailand uh, and get a Princeton fellowship. So do it do it while you're young and fresh and just out of college. Certainly. It's a time to take the, the maximum amount of risk in your career is obviously as early as possible. And frankly speaking, you know, the first two years out of college, I was essentially living out of a bag um, because I was moving as much as I was. So from Western China to Beijing, from Beijing to, to, to Bangkok, it was, uh, you know, a time where I wasn't really settled for the first two years of my career. Um, but at the same time, looking back, I probably learned more in those two years than I have ever, ever since. Wow. Okay. Well, Austin, let's continue the story and continue the learning. Sure. So, so around 2006, after I had finished up the Princeton Fellowship, 
Um, I was working at this nonprofit based in Bangkok and traveling down south working on tsunami relief project. And uh, the Asian tsunami in 2004 hit actually destroyed a lot of forest land on the coast. And so I was in charge of a project that was looking to rehabilitate some of that land. Interestingly, one part of that task involved hosting Bill Clinton, who was the co-chief head of the Tsunami Relief Project. So Bill Clinton had never visited Thailand before, and I was tasked with finding a, a site location for, uh, for him to visit. Uh, so that was a really fascinating part of my work that year. And, uh, and so, so that year I had worked in a variety of, of different sort of projects and tasks in the nonprofit world, but I, I frankly found it uh, to be a little bit slower pace than I, I wanted. And so, you know, certainly towards the end of my, my fellowship time, I was starting to think about ways that I could move into the business world. And I had never worked in business. I had taken one business class uh, in, in, in college um, and, and frankly, didn't have any of those core fundamental business skills that you would typically look for in, in folks looking for entry level positions in, in the sort of private sector. But I was really interested at the time in renewable energy. So this is 2006, 2007, right around the time that um, An Inconvenient Truth had come out, um, Al Gore's movie on climate change. And a big part of that was talking about the potential for renewable energy. And so while I was in Bangkok, I decided that I would meet with and give myself basically a month to meet with everybody that was involved in renewable energy at that time uh, in the city and really network and see if there was an opportunity uh, to, to find a job in that space uh, in the business sector. And I gave myself just one month uh, to find a job. And if I didn't find a job, I'd go back to the States, you know, maybe apply for graduate school or, or what have you. And so I met a bunch of folks. And one of the people I met um, had a small environmental consulting organization. He was interested in <clears throat> branching out and actually setting up a private equity fund to invest in renewable power plants throughout Southeast Asia. And we hit it off, and I was able to join that team and help establish that fund. Uh, we raised a chunk of money from uh, a company in the Netherlands uh, that wanted to invest in these power plants. And I helped set up the team for the next three and a half years and invest. Uh, we built one of the first renewable power plants in Cambodia, in eastern Cambodia. We also built one in the Philippines and, uh, and, and one in Thailand as well. And at the time, this is in my mid-20s, it was my first business experience. So I was learning everything from you know, simple financial modeling skills to deal sourcing to presenting at conferences in front of hundreds of people. It was uh, really a, a fun time in my career. And at the same time as well, we were hiring a team and you know, establishing an office in a, in a foreign country. And I was really getting a chance to use you know, some of the language skills I'd acquired um, and, and travel all throughout the, the Southeast Asian region, which is you know, still to this day one of my favorite places in the world. Um, each country is just so different from the next uh, with different working customs and, and, and challenges associated with each of them. So it was, you know, really an ideal job for a mid-20s person. Yeah, and and Austin, I just want to ask you a quick question here. You know, the listeners of this podcast, many of them have been trying to get into private equity or plan to get into private equity for their entire lives. So they've gone to the right schools and they worked in investment banking and they try to get into PE. You get in from a very, very different path, but, but what do you, looking back on it now, what do you attribute your success in being able to get that job? Was it your language? Was it your passion for renewable energy and in the environmentals? Like, what was it? 
So I, I do a fair amount of mentoring um, sort of on the side um, with different organizations and groups um, that I'm a part of. And I break down any kind of career guidance really into a, a kind of matrix that I learned in business school. The first one is, is industry. Second is geography. And the third is function. And you can have two out of three of those and have a good, good shot at getting a job. And, and so I can, I can go into greater depth in this later in the podcast, but essentially at that time I was looking for a junior role, right. In, in business. So I was interviewing at, at consulting companies, but I was also, when I was talking to this private equity fund, I really had industry experience because I demonstrated very early on that I knew all the different players in Bangkok and renewable energy for that month. I had networked and found all the different participants um, and investors and had talked to them. And I was, you know, adding real value, introducing them to each other, um, talking about new projects that I saw, interesting articles. Um, so I understood the industry. And on geography, I, I spoke fluent Thai by that point in time. And I understood the business environment. I'd already been working in the country um, and had been, you know, traveling in and out of there for three or four years by that point. And so what was missing was really functional experience. And so the hiring manager, I mean, the, the, the director of that fund basically took a risk and said, you know, I can train you on the functional aspects of this job. Um, but essentially, you, you already know the industry. You're already excited about that. You've demonstrated your capacity for that. And you understand the geography as well. And that's really what I'm looking for. And so, you know, I think especially early in your career, you don't have to be the triple threat. Um, and, and especially if you're in a market where, you know, it's, it's harder to find talent, which I think certainly Bangkok is, is in some cases at that time in that particular industry was a good example of that. Um, having two out of three is good enough. Got it. Yeah, I've heard of having someone, I haven't heard the location one before. I've heard industry and function, and you have to have at least one of those. And if you want to do both, then you take a job that changes one of them, do that for a little while, and then you can take another job that changes the other one, and then you can get two out of two. But yeah, the location thing makes a ton of sense, especially abroad with the language skills. And okay, that's, that's awesome. So you've got this great job, you're in at the ground floor, you're building this private equity fund, you're in an industry that you were passionate about, then what? So after about three and a half years, we had worked on three major projects by that point in time. And, and you know, there were bulldozers on the ground building them. Um, and I had learned a lot of the lessons that I thought were, were sort of key for that particular role. And I was at that time just, you know, I, I was a unique background, you know, in, in the city of Bangkok. So I was a foreigner who had lived there for, by that point, about five years, um, you know, working in a private equity background, investing. And, you know, I had this recruiter reach out and say, hey, you know, um, we're recruiting from the National Oil Company of Thailand, which is called PTT. And we're setting up a mergers and acquisitions team for the chemical subsidiary. Would you be interested in coming in for an interview? And, you know, I thought to myself, well, this is, this is fascinating. I mean, they had never hired a foreigner in any sort of real business role um, at that company. It's a huge company. At the time, it was doing $80 billion a year in revenue, and it was a Fortune 100 company, I believe, back in like 2011, 2012. And so I, I interviewed there and immediately hit it off with the, with the CEO. And we, you know, basically 
they, they gave me an offer and I joined and, and we set up an M&A team. And that was a huge shift for me from functional experience to go from, you know, investing in small power plants, you know, typical CapEx would be under $10 million to reviewing, you know, mergers and acquisitions for multi-hundred million dollar uh, chemical plants throughout the world. And there was a lot to learn, especially in that first year on how a large corporation operates, how they form strategy and how they execute on, on particular transactions. So, you, you know, the, the, the shift from a small PE shop with, you know, 10 people on the team to a company with, I, I still don't know how many people work at PTT, but let's say over 50,000, the, the company itself makes up over 25% of the, st- the market uh, capitalization for, for Thailand. Um, was just a huge, huge shift for me. And I spent two years there. And in 2011, we made three acquisitions and spent over $200 million um, investing in the United States for two deals and then one in France as well. Um, so just a, just a fascinating job and an opportunity to get my first corporate experience. Wow. So I guess this brings us back to your matrix because now you are a triple threat. You have three out of three and you move way up market. I guess that that the same could be said, like you want to get a job in investment banking, Goldman Sachs and JP Morgan won't take a look at you, but you can get a job at uh, an investment bank that's small, middle market, not not very big. You do that for a little while and then try to get your way into a a more, you know, big name kind of bank. Um, So that's that's really cool how you were able to do that. Yeah, I mean it's it's a it's an interesting parallel you draw. I, I frankly think it's it's less about the brand and more about the learning experience. Um, you know, for me, I was never really interested so much in, in in brands of companies that I work for. I was more interested in in how this would add to my learnings over time. And certainly, I, I think it's very difficult to understand how corporations operate until you jump into one, uh, especially a big corporate. And there were a lot of very important cultural lessons that I learned um, about big corporates when I was there. You know, the need for FaceTime, the need for building relationships between departments, um, you know, how different sort of bureaucratic uh, issues can be resolved, um, how to form alliances within the company. Uh, and obviously, you know, sort of corporate structuring issues as well. Um, so it was, it was just a fascinating time. And, and certainly, in my mind, my portfolio went from Southeast Asia to global, right? So, so PTT operates all over the world. I mean, it has oil fields, you know, in, in Africa and chemical plants in France. So there's just operations everywhere. And so it, it was a really good learning for me. Yeah. And that's a, I mean, that's a very authentic way to go about it. Kind of this Warren Buffett mentality of taking the job where you're going to learn the most. Well, you know, and, and, and actually one of the other things that Warren Buffett is famous for saying is that you should never compromise on investing in yourself. And, and, and that can be very scary, actually, at certain points in your career. So, you know, when you maximize for learning, that may mean that you have to, uh, you know, take a pay cut, right? So maybe you want to join a startup, um, but you know that you're going to learn more. Um, or maybe you move to a new geography, which you're unsure about whether you'll like or not. Um, so in all those cases, you know, there's different compromises and it's unfortunately your career trajectory and, and the outward uh, branding or, or image of it, uh, its progression is, is not always perfectly correlated. Um, and so you have to be true to yourself and know what, what matters to you and, and, and hopefully, you know, take on the, the tasks that, uh, 
that bring you the most learning. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Okay, so now you've you've been in Thailand for for how many years now? At this point, so this would be around 2012. So I spent about seven years in Thailand at that point. And what are you thinking? Are you thinking like this is this is my life now, or I want to wait make my way back to America, or more international? I want to see something else. Like what was it then? Yeah, it's a really really good point. Um, so by that point, I had had two really close friends go to uh, well, three friends actually. Two of them went to Berkeley Haas, and another one went to Stanford GSB. And so the idea of going to business school had always been the back of my head, but I had had these great sort of incremental opportunities that had come up in my career. It had felt like it hadn't stalled at all. And uh, I was, you know, 30 at that time and felt that, you know, this is a really good time to go to business school. Um, but I didn't really believe in the two-year program. Um, so I was looking at some of the shorter programs. So uh, London Business School and INSEAD being on the top of that list. And uh, I applied to NCI Business School uh, in, in uh, Singapore and in France and was accepted in 2012 uh, and then finished up my, my two years at, at PTT and moved to Singapore uh, to, to start my MBA. Wow. And uh, this makes sense. You go to an international business school, one in America just wouldn't be right for you. <laughs> it was, uh, you know, there's, I, I didn't know it at the time, but uh I fit the bill very much in terms of INSEAD. So there's, there's a few statistics about INSEAD that, um, you know, I think they still hold today. Um, one of them is that 80% or 85% of the student body has spent at least two years working outside of their home country. Um, and no single nationality uh, at INSEAD student population is more than 10%. Wow. So that means there's no more than 10% Americans, no more than 10% Indians, Germans, French, you have it. It is easily the most diverse community I've ever been a part of, um, and everyone's background is really deeply rooted in international experience. So, you know, in that way, I really fit the bill. And then, of course, you know, for folks that are interested in MBA programs, the one one key requirement of INSEAD that excludes a lot of people from ever even thinking of applying is that you have to speak two languages fluently to be accepted into the program. And uh, I believe I was the first foreigner to ever. Uh, get accepted into NCAD with Thai as a second language. Um, and then, of course, by the time you graduate NCAD, you have to be conversant in a third language as well. Not fluent, but conversant. And so, you know, that criteria really self-selects for a different kind of, of MBA student than you would see in other, other programs. And, you know, frankly, it fit really strongly um, with my background. Yeah, Absolutely. So just before you said your career felt like it was going well, it, it had never hit any stalls. What were you looking to get out of business school? Why not, why not just stay you know, rising up the chain at, at these companies? One of the things that's, that's interesting, um, I think, when you form an international perspective is wondering whether you are learning all the lessons you can learn from your particular geography. And a lot of people actually don't think of this too, too often. They typically think of it in terms of the industry or maybe function. Um, but for me, you know, operating in Southeast Asia for as long as I did in, in a variety of different countries, I felt that I was really missing a perspective of working alongside folks from Europe and the United States and Latin America. Um, and so, you know, I had this sort of deep Asian expertise, in particular, Southeast Asian, ASEAN expertise, 
Um, but I'd really not worked that closely alongside other folks. And so that was one of the things I, I really wanted to get out of INSEAD. And, and that was certainly the case, um, you know, just being exposed to all sorts of different people and different work environments. So that was great. Yeah. I mean, that's very wise of you to be able to have that outlook and I mean, it's very global. So I guess that, that fits the conversation that, that might actually be the title of, of, of this podcast. Um, okay. So you finish up in Seattle. What, what was the, your third language that you picked up there? Bahasa, Indonesian. So uh, Indonesian is actually one of the easiest languages in the world for an English speaker to learn. And so uh, a, a quick, you know, hack for anybody that ends up going to INSEAD, it's uh, definitely choose Indonesian as your third language. You can pop over to uh, Jakarta or Yogyakarta and take a language language course and, and, and crank it out very quickly. It's, a, it's one of the easiest languages I've ever learned. Okay. Well, that's a very interesting piece of advice. Uh, and useful as well. I mean, Indonesia is <laughs> a great growing economy in Malaysia as well. Um, and, uh, and, and so it's a really valuable language to learn um, for, the, for the global economy, frankly speaking. Uh, one, of the, one of the largest spoken languages in the world. So. Wow. Okay. So as you finish up school, I'm, I'm going to take a guess here that you probably wanted to go to another foreign country, not Thailand. <laughs> I was definitely not job searching in Thailand. I can say that much. Um, and, and so for me, you know, I, I did my MBA internship over the summer at Shell in their internal consulting team. And, you know, that was a, a, a different change in, in function. And, and so, you know, I went from corporate development, which is very transaction oriented to more of a strategic overview um, and I want to continue down that line, but I wanted to, to move things. So going back to that matrix, you know, functional experience, I was interested in changing geography. I was interested in changing and actually industry at the same time. Um, but continuing to work in a corporate environment. And so, uh, Samsung has a program called the global strategy group. Uh, they recruit from, I think at least 15 of the MBA programs around the world. And they've always recruited from, from INSEAD pretty heavily, and this group uh, was where I eventually ended up um, after MBA. And it's a very, very unique. It's it's an entire internal consulting team of over 100 um, post-MBAs that operate out of world headquarters for Samsung, which is in downtown Seoul, uh, and conduct strat- you know, strategic reviews and, and, and projects from Korea, but focused entirely outside of the country. So based in Korea, but conducting strategic projects all over the world. Uh, again, my international background and experience uh, was a particularly strong interest to them. And I think the reason why I eventually got hired there. Um, and I had obviously this experience in energy, renewable energy, clean tech, um, and oil and gas by that point. And so they were interested in, in placing me in uh, the battery team. So... Um, you know, I don't know if all of your listeners are, are super familiar with it, but um, energy storage uh, is a particularly growing industry, and that's using batteries to hold power either from utilities or from solar panels on top of your house and creating a more efficient uh, electrical grid. And yeah. Samsung is a large player in that industry. And so they immediately placed me in that that position. And well, at the time, I was a little hesitant because it wasn't a, a very sexy industry in 2014. Um, actually, it turned out to be a fascinating move. And uh, I you know, conducted projects in 
Germany and in Japan and China, um, working both in batteries for uh, energy storage for utilities, but also in electric vehicles as well. And so it was a great entree into the entire mobility industry. Um, and I loved it. I had really fascinating projects and we, uh, we were able to actually build a, a, quite a bit of interest in that internal team in our projects. And so a lot of times people would, would be demanding to work with us <laughs> to, to work on battery projects because it was just such an interesting and growing industry. But wow, a hundred person internal strategy team. I've never heard of anything quite like that. That, that, that must have been um, an incredible experience. Yeah, it was. And, and, and for the first time I was working with, you know, folks that had spent, you know, maybe the bulk of their career in Germany or in the United States or, or India. So it was, it was, you know, in many ways as diverse an environment as, as INSEAD. And a lot of the folks I was working with had spent time in consulting as well. Um, so this was like, uh, you know, folks, I remember one of the gentlemen I worked with had spent a long time at, at BCG and, you know, it was a really good experience for me to understand how to structure my thinking, my thoughts, um, developing these, these consulting reports um, and working on a sort of two to three month uh, program. That was something I had never really done before. Uh, and it was, it was actually very valuable. Um, a lot of time spent in PowerPoint, but uh, it was also good to, to structure my thoughts and, and helps a lot, I think, in, in the diligence that we do. Um, even here at Scrum Ventures. Well, Austin, it's it's super interesting to have kind of this private equity investment banking transactional experience and then like this hardcore consulting experience. Most people kind of choose one of those paths and then go off of it from there. You you did you did both. Which one, I mean, if you had to look back on it now, which one do you think better suited your personality? It's a it's a really good question, actually. I uh I think there's always different elements of your personality that fit with, with um, uh, different styles of work that you do. Um, I actually think both fit my personality in some ways, but in the end, it's probably a little bit more weighted towards a transactional experience. And I think a lot of people would say that, you know, uh, you have to have a lot of patience to work in consulting and strategy which is true. Um, and you have to have, uh, you know, I think over time, it's really important that you focus on a particular sector or area. Um, whereas, you know, in transaction experience, you get a chance to bounce around to all sorts of different companies and deep dive into them and, and, and then, you know, move on to another. Um, and so it's, it's a little bit of a mix. Um, certainly I don't think I would be as good of an investor today if I didn't have that experience working in strategy. Um, at the same time too, I probably wouldn't have been all that good at strategy if I hadn't had the chance to, you know, conduct all the diligences that I did over the years, um, on my investing. Right. Okay. So now we, we come to the third act of the story here, how all of this transactional consulting international experience culminates into being the the James Bond of investing, right? <laughs> I don't know if I'm the James Bond of investing, but um, the uh, so so after spending this is now it's been about twelve years in Asia, um, and, and was at Samsung around 2016, January 2016. I started to decide what my next move would be, and I had spent a fair amount of time in San Francisco traveling uh, for work with Samsung. And had fallen in love with the work culture here in the city. 
And, you know, it, it, there was one of the things that I've come to learn is that uh, different cities and different countries obviously have different work cultures. And you really want to find one that, that matches up with your personality and, and how you like to work. And what I found in San Francisco that was, or the Bay Area, I should say in general, which was unique to any other place that I worked, was just the speed and efficiency with which um, work was conducted here. And that really matched my personality. I'm someone that is very, uh, <laughs> very result oriented and also very straightforward um, in, in my approach to, to business communication. And, and San Francisco was everything that I could ever hope for. And so I was really attracted to, to working here. And so I started meeting with a variety of different people. And I met my current general partner at the firm I work for, Scrum Ventures. And you know, he, he comes from uh, uh, Japan uh, and had a background in startups. And, and immediately, you know, he connected with me in terms of my experience having worked at small firms uh, based in Asia and being a part of the fundraising process and understanding what it takes to hire a team and build a culture with an investment firm. And we hit it off immediately. And I, I really saw the opportunity for, uh, you know, a lot of Asian money to be coming into San Francisco, into the Bay Area and helping companies innovate here. And, and uh, so, you know, I decided to join the team and uh, have spent the past two plus years working at Scrum Ventures, overseeing the investments that we make here. Uh, we have a portfolio of over 50 startups. So I'm no longer really focused on energy or any of the prior industrial background that I had. Um, now we're making investments in mobility, digital health, fintech, uh, just a whole host of different areas. Um, so it's, it's been very, very challenging, uh, in that regard, but also incredibly rewarding as well, uh, to be active in so many different areas and, you know, taking a lot of the expertise that I've learned from corporate development and also private equity and, and, and trying to meld that into my current role. Austin, it's such a, it's such a cool story. I mean, the, the usual guests come on here and they say, yeah, I worked at Bain and then I went to business school and then I got into venture capital. Uh, you know, yours of this path winding through, you know, international development and different jobs throughout Asia and then working in Samsung's corporate strategy group and, um, and business school at, at NSAID. Um, it, it's like, you know, it all makes sense where you ended up as a as a venture capital investor, like at all, like I, I see, I see the path now, but you know, in the early days, do you think you could have ever seen uh, an outcome like this? Uh, absolutely not. <laughs> That's that I, I think is, is something I have to be very honest about. Um, but when I look back at some things, it's funny how it all comes for full circle. So my father, um, was, was in venture capital when he was my age. Um, and he moved from Pittsburgh where he had grown up to Kentucky. And, uh, that's where I was born in Louisville, Kentucky. And I think a lot of ways, you know, his career trajectory of, of, of really learning how to embed himself in, in, in Kentucky in the business environment there and, and build out a successful businesses. That was really something that, you know, I kind of took to heart without really seeing the parallels until many years later. Um, in each place that I've, I've been, I've had to commit myself very much to the local culture and finding out ways that I can add value um, and really getting ingrained in, in how those places operate. And, and certainly, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, 
investing in a power plant in, in the rural areas of eastern Cambodia or investing in a new tech startup that's operating in a field that's you know totally nascent and and just beginning to grow. Um, there are parallels there that that it's it's maybe only apparent to me, <laughs> but um, basically the the driving force is is a need to be curious and open minded and adaptable, um, and 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 obviously uh, uh, you know always willing to learn. Uh, and so I think that's, that's been kind of the key, the key constant throughout my life. Austin, I, I love it. That sense of curiosity and open-mindedness and being adaptable that perfectly characterizes your career. It's really, really good advice, uh, for people early in their career, for people middle of their career, uh, even probably later in your career. Um, so I, I just really want to thank you for doing this. This was, this was awesome speaking with you. Yeah, thank you. And uh, it's, it's a great service that you're providing. Um, I think a lot of folks are always trying to, to reach out to me to have these types of discussions. And uh, it's nice to have it recorded. So now I can just uh, give them <laughs> the link and tell them you can understand my career background over a 45-minute podcast. Well, that'll be good for both of us. I'll get new listeners and you won't have to do the 45 minutes on the phone. Exactly. No, okay. I appreciate it. It's a really, it's really good what you're doing for folks. I think um, the more personal anecdotes that folks can share in their career, uh, the easier it is for folks to visualize their own. Yep. I completely agree. So thanks for doing this and uh, we'll talk soon. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening today. Let me know what you think. Leave us a review on iTunes and tell your friends about this podcast. Thanks. <laughs>